0: Love Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Thank you, thank you for joining me today. Well, so many of us have them, and so many of us struggle with them, and that is what we're going to talk about today. Tame my children. That is our topic, and actually it's going to be a topic for, not consecutively, but it's going to be a topic for a while because, um, as you can imagine, there are lots of things to say about one's children, especially our badly behaved children. I am uh, recording this show, uh, this is the live pre-recording, if you will. I usually don't record shows on the same days, um, because uh, for a variety of reasons, sometimes the technology doesn't work like it's supposed to, sometimes, you know, things just happen, so... Uh, If you happen to be along at the time that I'm pre-recording this show, give me a call if you would like to talk about this topic. I can uh, see that I've got a couple of listeners out there. If you want to say something, you can call in and you can hit one, and uh, you'll be connected, and that will tell me that uh, you want to say something. Tantrums at the mall, every bedtime is a surprise worthy of fits and screams, fights over food, you can't even get them dressed for school or daycare without a battle. You have tried cajoling, coaxing, bribing, spanking, time out didn't even work, spanking didn't help. Do I sound like I've been hiding at your house? If so, this series is going to be my gift to you. I am going to help you tame your bratty, rude, insolent, disobedient, obstinate, rotten, spoiled children. That is going to be the subject of our exploration. So you might be thinking, well, that's very interesting. What are your qualifications, Miss Feeway? Well, I'm going to tell you. I am a mother of two Gorgeous, adorable, wonderful children. They are so well-behaved that everywhere we go, people marvel at how well-behaved the girls are. All, it happens all the time. I hear it all the time. hear it at their school. Oh, your daughter is so helpful. And I remember, in fact, there was a time that uh, their dad and I uh, went to a parent-teacher conference. His name is James. So James and I are sitting there listening to these folks talk about our youngest child, Jamie. And the teacher's carrying on about how helpful Jamie is. And she, at this point, was probably about, oh, she's probably about five. And her teacher was saying, oh, yes, you know, she's such a helpful child. She is the only one who comes in in the morning, and she helps me set up for the day. And the two of us are looking at each other going, Jamie, Pierce? Oh, yes, yes. She is so helpful, and she um, helps take down everything, and she puts things away at the end of each session, and we we are just shocked because our little kid at home, you say to Jamie, you know, Jamie, can you put up your toys? (laughs) There is screaming and crying, okay? And so we are really quite surprised that this is how well behaved our kids are. They behave sometimes even better out there than they do at home. Uh, the kids are, my kids are respectful of their elders. They are obedient. They are helpful. Um, sometimes when I'm talking on the phone and the girls are around, I have friends who say, Hey, I thought the girls, uh, I thought the girls were with you. And I say, Yeah. And they say, Well, it's so quiet. Where are they? Oh, well, they're right here. And sometimes they're right there. They might be reading, they might be doing other things, or sometimes they might just be quiet because mommy's on the phone. Um, so that's that's one piece of my mastery. The second thing, this is the thing I'm most proud of. I have mastered the look. You know the one. It is the look that your grandmama used to have, that maybe your mama used to have, and it may be the look that you wish you had. It is that look that quells all misbehavior. Uh, you're out and about, and you remember, you were misbehaving, and you and your sibling maybe were cutting up, and you were making noise, or you're sitting in church, and you're fiddling and fidgeting, and your grandmother gave you that look. And immediately there was silence or whatever it was you were doing, you stopped. And the first time I mastered the look, I was so proud. I've never forgotten it. My daughters were misbehaving. This was actually at home. So we're at home. The kids are misbehaving, and they are just making a whole lot of noise, and I was ticked off. So I turned around, and I gave them this look, and both of them saw it. And all of a sudden, you know, the bickering just kind of tapered off, and then there was silence, and then there was "sorry, Mama." And I thought, whoo-wee, yes, I have right. I was so pleased that look I had been dying to accomplish forever." And so, when I mastered it, yes, yes, there were fireworks, there were bombs in the air. First thing in the air, and uh, the national anthem rang. That's how I was pleased with my look. Uh, Other qualifications. I have never had the proverbial tantrum in the store. Not once, not with either one of the girls, not ever, and at this point they're 8 and 10. So I'm reasonably sure that I can say with great confidence, we are past the tantrums in the store stage. My ter- my terrible twos, everybody kept saying, ooh, watch out, when they turn two, they're going to be horrible. We had terrific twos for both of them. They were great two-year-olds, wonderful toddlers, and I have some secrets. So all of this was not just luck. Now, those of you who have kids, especially if you have more than one, what you know and know for sure is that children are who they are when they're born. They are born within with hardwired personalities, and you will know it, especially if you have two kids, because you will notice how different they can be in terms of disposition and personality and the way they react to things. And, you know, it's the same household, it's the same parents, it's the same everything, except you just have two different kids. So they are they are who they are but there's a lot you can do to influence it and we're going to talk about this over the next couple. So for this particular show we're just going to start with some universal rules. We're going to talk about how to start the taming process from birth to age 18 months. Um next no in fact the next show is going to be birth to 6 months because that's a very different time, and then we'll talk about six to—I think it's six to twelve months—and we'll we'll get to the to the toddler ages, and uh, we're going to stop somewhere around age twelve because, as I said, my girls are uh, eight to ten, eight and ten. I have been told that everything changes at teenage. When they become tweens and teens, you know, all hell just breaks loose. And um, I don't believe it. I don't think that has to be because I actually know parents who have had wonderful teenagers. Granted, they've been in the minority, but... We were minorities when uh, my, my, my ex-husband and I were minorities when we had two children who had terrific twos, both of them. When everybody else said, oh, my goodness, you can't control toddlers. It's just horrible. Oh, they turn into little rascals and you just would not believe. They're just hell on wheels. And that turned out not to be true. So it is my personal belief that there is much you can do to not only influence but avoid The terrible behavior that so many parents complain about. Universal rules. Now, the reason I'm not going to talk about kids beyond 12 is because I want to try it out first. I can't very well give you all sorts of advice about your... 13 year old when i've never had one there are some things you can research and there's some things i think you just have to experience and parenthood is one of those things that you i think you have to experience in order to really be able to get it and uh, if it turns out of course that i have terrible teenagers i most certainly will not be qualified to talk to you about your terrible teenagers (laughs) except to say perhaps well now i know what not to do so um we're not going to touch the teens, but uh, when i when I get past that point, perhaps then we'll we'll talk about that. but let's start with universal rules, and these go no matter how old your kids are, these rules will be true for you, but they're especially true at the very beginning, from zero, from newborn. The first thing I will tell you is begin as you intend to go on. What does that mean? It means. Whatever habits you establish for your children at birth, especially when you hit three months, those are the habits that you need to be willing to carry on forever. Here's an example. Let's say you have a child who will not sleep by themselves, right? And I've heard many parents complain about that. My kid will get up in the middle of the night and they will come back. Uh, They'll come into my room and they'll want to sleep in our bed. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, when you start asking those parents, when did this kid start sleeping in your room, you will find that perhaps when the baby was newborn or perhaps when the baby was six months old, that the parents actually decided it was easier for them if the child slept in their room for lots of reasons, right? If the kid gets up, I don't have to get up and walk across the hall. If the kid gets up, I know the kid got up because... The kid is right there with me. If the baby needs feeding, I don't have to get up, walk over, feed the baby. I can just roll over. And so there are all sorts of conveniences for the parents that happened at somewhere within the first year of that child's life. What happened was that child decided, uh, perhaps unconsciously, that this is the way life is. I sleep with my parents. And so when the parents decided that it was no longer convenient for them, the child didn't know anything different, and so the child wanted to continue with the comfortable habit that they had grown accustomed to. So when I say begin as you go on, I mean in everything, in the way that you put your children to bed, in the way that you uh, feed them, in the way that you... Um, Discipline them in the way that you manage your child's life to the extent possible. Begin as you intend to go on. I actually resisted quite strongly the desire to rock my children to sleep when they were babies because this was a piece of advice that my boss at the time gave me. And I have to tell you, it was the most valuable piece of advice. And what he said to me was, from birth, from birth, you train that child to go to sleep by themselves. You train that child to go to sleep at a certain time. And I said, oh, but they're babies. How do you even do that? Because they sleep around the clock. They wake up around the clock. And he said, you set the bedtime from birth, not at six months, at birth. You decide what, what, what bedtime is. And if that child is asleep, um, let's say you set the bedtime at 6.30 p.m. If that child is asleep at 6 o'clock, you wake them up and you make sure that baby is awake for half an hour before bedtime and at 6.30 p.m. you put them to bed in exactly the same way as you intend to put them to bed, frankly, for the rest of their life. And I followed that advice and I have to tell you, at 8 and 10, my kids are still going to bed exactly the same way. And the way that we chose to put them to bed was we would turn on the night lights so they knew that something was different and we would swaddle them when they were babies because that was the easiest way to get them to go to bed. We would turn on the soft music at the time, you know, we had this, you know, your all these stories about how classical music helps you baby. So we turn on the classical music and we would leave the baby awake and turn off the, the, the main light in the room. And That taught the baby how to go to sleep on their own. I would never, ever hold the baby until they fell asleep because guess what? If you teach your baby not to sleep unless you're rocking them, you better be planning to do a whole lot of rocking in your life. And for the days when you're tired, for the days when you don't have time, for the days when you can't do it, it's going to be a nightmare. Now, I did read, I think it was in the book, What to Expect the First Year. Excellent book, by the way. And you'll find this and other resources on the thespewayshow.com or speway.com. On the posting for the show, there will be links and um, other things that you can, uh, books and other things that you can use. But one of the things that this book said, as I recall, is that it's that three months that babies start to form habits. So you've got three months to get it wrong. And if you've gotten it wrong for the first 3 months because you just can't resist rocking the baby, you just can't resist holding the baby until it's fine. Um but at 3 months, that's the time where if you don't if you don't figure it out by then, you're going to have some problems. So, the other universal rule is never too late to turn the tide. If you have been rocking the baby, And you decide you no longer want to rock the baby because the baby is six months old and you know it takes a little longer to go to sleep. But you've got other things you have to do. You're back at work. You've got to get to bed, especially since you're whatever you're pumping, you're expressing milk, and you have to get up around the clock, even if the baby is um, sleeping. Um, You can tell I've had some experience with that. You might not feel like rocking the baby anymore. It's not too late to turn the tide. It's never too late to teach your baby new habits. It's just that. The longer you go, the the harder it is to change the baby's habits. And the more painful it is and the more likely you are to have the tantrums and the screaming and everything else, just so you know. Another universal rule, don't blame the school system. Study after study has shown that the biggest influence on children is not their friends, it's not their teachers, it's their parents. And on top of that, if your child is, let's say, in the U.S., they're not going to school, they're not starting first grade until they're age six. There have been studies that demonstrate that actually the vast majority of a child's personality is fully developed by the time they're seven. I think it was Zig Ziglar, my favorite motivational speaker, who actually cited a study where he said something like 90% of a child's personality is fully developed by the time they're seven. They are who they are by the time they're seven, which means if they're in first grade at age six and that's the first time their teacher has seen them, they're pretty much who they're going to be. And guess who was responsible for the first six years? Yes. That was you. And before they ever got to daycare, guess who? That was you. And guess who has the greatest amount of time with this baby, generally speaking? Uh, Yeah, that's you. And even if they've got nannies and child caregivers, the people who will always have the greatest influence are you, the parents. So don't blame the school system. Don't blame the nanny. Don't blame other people, and frankly, if those other people are spending more time with your child and you don't like what you're seeing, then maybe you need to change your lifestyle so that you can spend more time with your child. Another universal rule, accept that they are who they are. What I said at the beginning of the show, your children are born with personalities, okay? You can influence, you can affect, you can certainly provide guidance and you can improve their you can improve who they their self perception of who they are you can create their you can affect very profoundly their self worth whether they have good self worth high self esteem self confidence all of those things are things that you can influence and you have direct um control over as the parent but Accept that from a personality perspective, they are who they are. It's not your job to give them a personality. They already have one. God gave them that before they were even born. In fact, there are biblical references where God talks about needing the child in the womb, and He knew the child before you ever saw them. So they have their own personalities. Accept that they are who they are. And try and manage to who they are. So as you're teaching them and training them and teaching them values, take into account that this is who they are. They will grow up and they will make choices, and you cannot blame yourself for those choices, which gets me back to my universal rule. Next universal rule, guilt is not allowed. Do your best as a parent and let it go. No parent is perfect, no child is perfect, my kids aren't perfect, as much as I like to think so on most days, they're not. And I'm not a perfect parent, so I'm not sitting here and uh, preaching to you from some pulpit of perfection, because I certainly am not that. And I have had to apologize to my children, not very often, but once in a while. I've had to apologize to my children for getting it wrong. And because, uh, you know, as much as I get it wrong, they can see that I got it wrong, too. So, And, and part of that teaches them, frankly, how to apologize. So don't blame yourself if you do if you try and do everything right and your kid grows up and and gets addicted to drugs and gets into prostitution ends up in prison for 12 years do not do not do not blame yourself first of all at that point there's not much you can do about it anyway but secondly sometimes children will just make choices that you really don't want them to make And I would say this is especially true if you have adopted children, because the formative years of a child's life are the most influential. And what happened to that child in, say, the first two years? Let's say you adopted a two-year-old. What happened to them between zero and two? You can't change, and you can't go back and fix. And sometimes the fact that they are adopted or put up for adoption suggests that there were issues at Uh, the biological uh, home with the biological parents, that made it really sub, um, what's the word, Uh, suboptimal. And so especially if you have adoptive kids, because I've had, had friends who have adopted children, and sometimes no matter how hard they tried, those kids just, you know, went off the deep end no matter what they did. So don't blame yourself, whether you're an adoptive parent, whether you're a biological parent. Do not, do not blame yourself. Some kids fail in life despite the best opportunities and the most loving parents accept that. Uh, Another universal rule, money helps, but it's tricky. Many wealthy and highly successful adults were motivated by the strong desire to escape poverty, the streets, gangs, and other chronic problems that often plague the financially disadvantaged. Conversely, one of the things that a lot of wealthy parents decide, which makes a lot of sense, right, is I do not want my children to suffer the way I did. Hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense, right? I want to create a better environment for my children than I had. Well, sometimes that can backfire. When I worked for a financial services company, we sold – um life insurance products, among other things. And one of the shocking statistics was that the highest suicide rates from a, an actuarial perspective, the highest suicide rates that we saw were among the young adults of our high net worth individuals. Now, we didn't do a study to figure out why that was, although our suspicion was that actually sometimes when you have really wealthy parents who give you everything and you don't have to work for anything, then it really kind of destroys your need to aspire to achieve. Because most of us aspire to achieve so that we can get a house, so that we can afford the first car – so that we can get a nicer car, so that we can buy the nicer things. So if you're 16 and you've got a Ferrari and you've got a, an apartment and you've got everything you ever wanted, you might sort of be thinking, well, what's the point of life? So that's why I say money helps. Money helps buy the diapers. It helps buy the formula. I read a number somewhere that says parents in the first year of a child's life will spend $7,000 on Diapers, clothes, formula, and that doesn't even include you know seven thousand dollars that doesn't include schooling that doesn't include you know all the other things that go with kids in school and and so on so kids are expensive, so money helps, but it can be tricky. Another universal rule: be clear about your job as the parent. Your children are a gift and a privilege to have, and if you don't believe it, you talk to a man or a woman who is unable to have children or who is unable to have as many children as they would like, and you will understand what a privilege it is. You don't know whether you can even have children sometimes until you try for the first time. My... husband, at the time I was married, my husband and I were married seven years before we even tried to have our first child. And it took us 14 months to conceive. And uh, that's a story for another day. But I tell you what, um, that was when I questioned, can we even have children? Both of us ended up going to the doctor. The doctor says, you're normal, you're fine, keep trying. Fourteen months later, we finally had a child. And so this is why I say, having a child is a privilege. Talk to a parent who has lost a child, for whatever circumstance—accident, illness, whatever it is—and you will understand that having a child, whether you think whether you think it is or not, having a child is a privilege. The other thing, this is my personal universal rule, because you know when you're trying to have kids and you can't have them, you start making all sorts of promises with uh, to God if He will give you children. Right? God, the giver of all things, especially things that are free, and especially the best gifts, like children. Um, My promise to God was, I tell you what, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will make sure that I never forget that I am my child's temporary custodian. This child is not my child. This is God's child. And what we do with God's children uh, is of great import, so much so, in fact, that Jesus himself threatened all parents, and uh, I don't have the citation, I'm not a pastor, so this and this is not a sermon, but I do remember reading that there was a time when um, the uh, Jesus was off somewhere preaching. It's in the New Testament, of course. And um, there were these kids who wanted to come to him, and the disciples shooed the boy, shoo, shoo. And Jesus said, wait just a minute. And depending on, you know, the version, he said something like, Suffer the children to come unto me. Maybe that was King uh, King James. And and he invites these kids. And not only does he invite the kids, but then he tells the adults that – Actually, you all ought to be more as children in terms of your disposition and your faith. You should be childlike, not childish, but childlike. And and he also said, you know, if any one of you harms a hair on this child's head or leads them astray, um, you know, woe be unto you. In fact, it would be better for you that you'd never been born because that's how I'm going to get after you for how you mistreat my children. So universal rule, this child is not yours. Your child was created by God and given to you as your, as a temporary custodian. I say temporary because theoretically they're only under your full-time care for a short portion of their life and yours. If a life is statistically going to be 80 to 90 years long, statistically, in the U.S. anyway, different countries have different life expectancies. And of that time, You have in-home, full-time, I won't say control because there are lots of
1: parents who can't
0: control their kids, in your house for 18 years before they go off to college. Even if they come back after they're adults, it's never the same. So you are the temporary custodian. Make the most of the time that you have those children, especially the first zero to six, seven years. Because if you get that right, then it's going to be infinitely easier, both for that child's future as well as for your child rearing thereafter. So that's another universal rule. The other universal rule I will give you is you are accountable to God for how you take care of those children. So... Just because, for example, you are a single parent and nobody is looking does not mean you can abuse that child. It doesn't mean you can neglect that child because God is always watching. And God, by the way, is the best and the ultimate single parent of all time, is he not? Because God uh, is the one who created us all. And he didn't have to have a woman to do it not with him i mean you know he had married but that was a very different kind of relationship than you know the rest of us mortals need in order to bear a child so i consider god to be the ultimate single parent and if the ultimate single parent can be perfect and um charge us with perfection then we're not going to be perfect but we ought to do the best we can so take care take care of your children, and remember that they are a gift, a privilege, and they are given to you as temporary custodians. And you and I and all parents will ultimately have to answer to God for how we raise and nurture his babies. Fortunately, God is not going to judge you by how much money you spent on your children, how many material things you provided. You will be judged, in my opinion, first by the love you gave to them, um, oh, I did write this down. Look at this. It's in my notes. Matthew 18:6. God, Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's Jesus for you. You know, people talk about what would Jesus do all the time, as if Jesus is, you know, some benign Always, you know, everything's fine. You know, really permissive kind of guy, but he really wasn't. And uh, so here he is, you know, threatening to drown you in the depth of the sea with a millstone around your neck if you don't take care of his children. So I think we ought to be fearful in, uh, uh, and respectful of our of our of our responsibility to raise our children. Most kids can be great kids. That's another universal rule. Even. Yours, and we're going to talk about how to do that in the in the coming episodes of this series. My other universal rule: be optimistic and confident, and start from a place of love. Loving is not the same as enabling loving is not the same as letting your kids have their way all the time. Loving is not the same as making sure your kids are always emotionally happy because they have their way or because you don't do anything to upset them. You are the parent. It's okay to upset your kids. It's not the same as failing to discipline. Another passage in my Bible that is often quoted. This is in the Old Testament. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, "Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them." Now, I had a speaker who was on the show and. Um, Uh, I did a show on discipline, and um, what she talked about was the fact that actually this is not about beating your kids. And um, it's, oh, what was that show called? I think it was called Stop Hitting my children or something like that stop beating my kids it's on the speedwayshow.com in fact i'll put a a, a link to that show on this posting so if you go to speedway.com you go to this show you will find links to other related shows and that will be one of them but one of the things she said was you know the good shepherd jesus he, he didn't beat his sheep he didn't use his rod to beat his sheep he used the rod to guide and that's what you ought to be doing and that's why the bible says If you hate your children, you're not going to discipline them. Them's some strong words, right, because you're thinking, I don't discipline my kids because I love them. No, 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 no. And we will talk about why that is. But actually, it is discipline that will be the ultimate example and expression of your love because your kids will grow up to resent you if you don't give them limits and rules and guidance and parameters because when they get out into the world, and they turn into horrible citizens, and they're difficult to work with or work for, and they get fired from their jobs because nobody ever taught them how to play with others, how to discipline themselves, how to work in cooperation with other people when they have failed relationships because nobody ever taught them how to be loving and considerate and to think of others before themselves, they will resent you for not having been the parent you should have been and and they will recognize at some point some as early as you know tweens and teens that my mother is supposed to give me guidance or my father is supposed to give me training and they will not appreciate the fact that you fell down as a parent not even because you thought it was a loving thing to do so discipline is biblical it's critical for the success the personal, professional, spiritual success of your children. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Um, things you don't have to do. And we're going to talk about it as we go on to our next series. Things you don't have to do. You don't have to nag. You don't have to yell. You don't have to spank. Less is more. Speak less. Do more. We're going to talk about how to do all of these things successfully in the upcoming, in the rest of the upcoming episodes on this topic, Tame My Children. So having said that, we are at the top of our show. This is Beware saying, uh, go in peace, tune in to the next shows that we do on this topic. Uh, So go in peace and tame your children. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.